Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So you may have heard a jet plane flying overhead as I said that. I'm sitting out on my balcony here in my sumptuous apartment in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some on certain days as the hottest city in America. Certainly not for me today as I sit here under an electric blanket. That's one of the misconceptions about Las Vegas is perpetually hot here. We have a winter like everybody else, and actually desert climates have more dramatic extremes of hot and cold simply because there isn't as much vegetation to hold in moisture and radiant heat from the sun. This is why you have people who need to carry heavy blankets traversing deserts in the middle of summer. So we're going to cover here today, it's about how to make your investments recession-proof. And this is going to be about various things having to do with holding out against the dramatic instabilities of the market, as well as a potential or real recession, depending on how you look at things. And to share with us on this journey, we have Mark Curry. He is the vice president and co-founder of SMK Capital Management. And he's been an avid real estate investor for over 17 years and throughout his career. He's been involved with sourcing, underwriting, acquiring, raising capital, rehabilitating, managing, and selling both residential and commercial investments throughout multiple markets in the United States. So essentially, he's been all over real estate and pretty much every single facet of it. So from both within and without, he's seen it from almost every point of view. We do run a few episodes like this every year, but I think this is going to be the first time we've had somebody on whose view of a single industry has been so diverse from the number of roles that he personally has played within it. Mark Curry, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me here today. All right. There's some uh, talking points you gave us in the green room. We're going to go through those, plus possibly a few other questions I have about this. But what we like to do first off is take a deep dive. So I read off your official bio. It's so impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be in your presence, and this is my show. But what we want to do is pull behind the curtain. Have you tell us a bit in your own words about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, and give me the opportunity to repeat the show's tagline. Yeah, happy happy to be here again. Uh, I will uh, I'll keep the background a little brief. Adam, love to to chat a bit more about what we're seeing and doing, etc. But I started my career as a financial analyst working for a Raytheon company. Um, this is pre recession, early two thousands. 
Uh, and I started investing in real estate on the side, um, very much uh, learning by doing and also surrounding myself with others that uh, had been there before. Um, started buying properties and renovating them, uh, very much hands-on, uh, 2005. And then, uh, as everyone recalls, the market was going up for a few more years. I thought uh, at the time that, uh, you know, I was a genius, of course, and I, uh, I knew what I was doing uh, in and out of market cycles. And I ended up uh, partnering with my brother. We bought a, a fourplex. I pulled out 100K from that first property and a line of credit and just expanded, kept expanding the portfolio. We were always buying a value add property, Adam. Still focused very much on that today where we can come in and, and manually do something to the property or, or several things to increase its net operating income and, and therefore its value. Um, and so that's how I got my start. We uh, built up a small portfolio, primarily of just family capital, my, myself, my brothers, my parents, aunts, uncles, uh, up until 2010. At that time, uh, really saw a lot of opportunity in the marketplace. You could buy properties 50, 60 cents on the dollar from what they were being sold at just a few years prior. And so we decided, uh, my father and I decided to partner up and create our company, SMK Capital Management. The goal at the time was to just expand on what we were already doing, Adam, let uh, others that already knew us and trusted us to invest alongside our deals and to keep acquiring and growing the company. Um, but we started to pivot. You know, I personally had left corporate America. I had a 401k sitting idle, and I decided to move a lot of that capital into a self-directed IRA so I could then invest my own uh, retirement dollars into alternatives, uh, a lot of it into real estate. And I went on a um, really a two-year networking binge in Los Angeles at the time where I was living. I would go to a uh, you know, meetup group for investor, some type of specific subject regarding investing or real estate or um, tax deference, uh, a lot of specialists would come in and speak and I would listen and take lots of notes and meet people and really get into the, to the weeds of the business. Um, and met a lot of folks that were in mobile home parks, that were in self-storage, that were in larger apartments. And at the time, you know, 2010, 11, there wasn't a lot that you could point to and say, oh, look, this has done actually pretty well through the recession. And so that really caught my eye. Right. And I wanted to diversify. And so I started investing into those asset classes personally, um, just through my self-directed IRA, um, some family members as well. We were just limited partners, kind of learning and diversifying. That was always the goal. Um, we started doing some syndications after having some uh, personal experience with some of these operators. We built partnerships with them and we started allowing and, and providing a structure where our investors could participate in these investments that we were making as well. And so that's how we got started. That's a little bit on our pivot. Um, today, we invest uh, predominantly in commercial real estate, uh, mobile homes, self-storage, apartments, a lot of workforce housing, middle income, affordable housing, uh, very much a, a, we feel to have a long-term demand in that asset class and very much our focus today. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So when you one term that jumped out at me, and I think I'm saying this right, a, a value add property. Sure. Like, could you define that in a little bit more detail? 
Absolutely. So when we typically source an asset for investment that meets our criteria, we're looking for a business plan, Adam, where we can, uh, upon takeover, we can uh, usually inject a lot of capital into the asset and do renovations, upgrades, uh, increase revenue, reduce expenses as much as possible, and grow the bottom line. And so we're adding value. That's where the term value add comes from. Um, A lot of times, if you just think about it quickly, it's renovating and improving um, the, the physical appeal of the property in and out. Right. So we talk again, uh, and I'm trying to bring this down to the easiest and simplest common denominator. Uh, is this like flipping properties? Got it. Yeah, it can be. Um, it doesn't have to be a flip, right? So I'll give you a couple more details on how, how we look at it. Um, a very heavy value add is typically maybe not producing positive cash flow day one. And so you have to come in and do a lot of major improvements to get it to be positive cash flowing. So that to me is a little bit more like a flip if you're going to sell it. Um, But the typical value adds we focus on, Adam, think about like a 1980s vintage apartment community where the property is highly occupied, call it 90, 95% occupied. But the units are old, they're outdated, they're just uh, well below market rents on an updated current uh, design and amenity apartments. So we'll come in, we'll replace the flooring, we'll repaint, we'll rip out the vanities and put in new and nice, put in the hardwood flooring, uh, vinyl type wood plank flooring, uh, stainless steel appliances, granite countertops, this kind of thing, really just kind of uh, overhauling the apartment to make it a lot more appealing. And when you do that, you can, you know, I'm just going to make up an example here, but let's say that the rents of that two bedroom apartment were 850 a month before we renovated it, but we once we're done renovating, we can get a thousand or 1100. Uh, there's a really strong return on cost there to do that. And so, if you do that over time, as leases come up for renewal, you can maintain high occupancy and you can continue to grow your revenue and your net operating income. You don't necessarily have to sell that to me is where, uh, if you do sell it afterwards, great, that's that's more of a flip. But we uh, we tend to do both, or sometimes we'll sell, and sometimes we'll just keep holding. Okay, great, great, great. So I appreciate you clarifying some of that for me. So one of the things we wanted to cover is the concept of affordable housing. So what is that? And you've also identified it as one of your favorite asset classes. So if you could tell me a bit about why. Sure. We um, continue to see very strong demand for affordable housing, and uh, that can be across a few different asset classes. So apartments is one. There's a lot of different kinds of apartments out there, Adam. You have class A apartments are usually newer construction. They typically demand the highest rent rate for the resident to pay. They might have uh, um, uh, a long, strong amount of amenities. Uh, They might be in a very urban infill area, location, et cetera. Um, Where we tend to focus is on workforce housing and middle income housing. That is uh, in between, I guess you could say class A, class C, we're usually around class B apartments. And that type of housing uh, usually has the highest demand from residents. We continue to see that. We project that that's gonna continue for really a long-term trend. There is a significant lack of affordable housing in in the United States, Adam, and uh, it's very hard to build new affordable housing due to construction costs, due to land value. Most new construction apartments, for example, are almost always class A, 
where they are demanding the highest rental rate in the submarket. Not all, but most of them. And so we typically don't compete with those. Uh, we like to be more in the middle. And so that, that to me is um, where we focus because of the lack of affordability uh, in the U.S. today. Um, that's exacerbated because of valuations have gone up on home ownership. And obviously, uh, interest rates and the cost of borrowing has also skyrocketed. And so home ownership is out of reach for, I think, over 60, 65% of Americans today. And so they uh, often will rent. And uh, we see that, again, as a, a long-term um, uh, demand for this type of housing. Yeah, but uh, going, along, going along with that, is there, is there something to that that might be simply responding to a market demand? I mean, just within my lifetime, I've seen some changes in lifestyle choices and how different trends either become more prevalent or at least more pronounced. Uh, it's I, I mean, I remember when I was uh, first coming up, there was this whole thing of, oh, yeah, you, uh, yeah, you got to buy a house because otherwise you're just throwing value away. And, uh, and home ownership was the dream. And now... Uh, just within the span of about 25 years of a of adulthood, I've seen a shift all the way from that to reading articles about people who are concerned about their family heirlooms because the kids just don't want them because they don't have a house to put them in, don't want a house to put them in. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting you bring that up. So my personal viewpoint, Adam, about owning a home is that it is a liability. It can become an asset if you sell it. But at the end of the day, most people who are living in their home, uh, it, it's a liability because it's taking money out of your pocket every day to live there. And so an expense liability to me, um, I think a lot of people think more like that these days, based on some of the things you just noted, some of the things we're seeing. Um, obviously, in 2008 and nine, we saw what happened to the housing, single family housing market, obviously tanked. And so a lot of people lived through that. They saw what happened to their parents. And I think there's a bit of a fear and a hesitancy to uh, want to go out and buy a home. But you also have market situation where, again, it's it's more unaffordable than we've seen in, in probably our lifetime, um, close to it, uh, based on, again, valuations skyrocketing the last few years and, and interest rates as well. Right, right. So where I was headed with this is, is it possible that uh, uh, we ended up in a situation where housing is out of reach for two thirds of the population because two thirds of the population just doesn't want to buy it the way they used to. And as a result, you had all these houses that wouldn't sell. So people bought them with the idea of turning them into rental properties. And that was simply a response to what the market was asking for. Is that, is that, is there any validity to that point of view? There's probably some, but I don't know that that's the major driver regarding the demand. You know, I think okay. it's more of a minority. From what we see, most people choose housing based on a few things. Um, number one is proximity and location to their job. Number two is amenities, desirability of the place. Is it nice? Is it safe? Uh, is there a playground? Do they have kids? This kind of thing. Um, and then uh, the biggest driver is affordability. And so uh, that's usually where people tend to focus when making a decision on buy or rent um, in, in most of the markets that we invest in. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll also mention, you know, mobile home parks is another part of our investment thesis. We love them. We've been investing with them for over 10 years. Um, a lot of mobile home park residents, Adam, look at it a little bit different. Most of them that we focus on, they own their home. 
and they pay lot rent to, to us, the, the park owner. And so they want to live there. Oftentimes are happy. They enjoy it. They have a pride of ownership. You have a bit more of a community feel where a lot of the residents will help each other with day-to-day tasks, uh, you know, carpooling, et cetera. Um, and that type of community, I would say, would prefer to have uh, home ownership um, as much as possible, uh, but it always comes back down to affordability. And so that's just a few more points on, on why the demand for affordable housing is there um, and what we continue to see. Yeah, so with all this in, in mind, uh, what do you recommend for folks to create what you call a, res- a recession-resistant real estate portfolio? As I said, I've been around long mm-hmm. enough to remember when the bubble burst, I've seen these changes in trends, not only of affordability, but what people want out of life. So how, how do we, how do we protect against all this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's something we focus on every day, Adam, we've been um, specifically investing with a recession resistant strategy since 2018. At that time, we thought there could be a correction soon in the market, a potential economic downturn. We'd seen some indicators in the marketplace signaling that. And so we created a recession-resistant fund. Uh, That fund invested in mobile home parks and apartments in growth markets and in self-storage. Those three asset classes historically have uh, typically been very lowly correlated to the overall market and economy, or even at times they've been inversely correlated. Um, That specifically is mobile home parks, and sometimes self-storage as well, where you see the demand for these assets uh, stay consistent or go up during a downturn. And so those are that's kind of step one, is sourcing the assets, the uh, specific types of uh, real estate that have proven themselves in, in multiple market cycles. Then within those asset classes, we look specifically at Uh, properties and portfolios that we can invest in, Adam, that we feel a lot of conviction around income and growth in that order. So we're really focusing a lot on year one cash flow. We do uh, quarterly distributions and updates to our investors. A lot of our investment strategy focuses on having those distributions start uh, the first year of the investment and have them grow year over year through value add strategies. And you know, at the end of the day, the goal for us with recession resistance is to number one, not be a seller at the wrong time. That's how you lose money. Uh, number two is to continue to perform and provide distributions um, and maintain or grow asset valuation. And so that's a, a bit more about kind of the asset strategies um, and, and what we do. We're really focusing on uh, one last point and feel free to dive in with questions, but we really look at five to 10 year holds as far as duration goes, Adam. So again, we don't have to be forced to sell at the wrong time. Right. Okay. All right. So there's, you know, when it comes to getting funding for this, I think that's a kind of a big deal for a lot of folks. So what are some of your tips for how to deal with, uh, you know, deal underwriting and financial analysis and just basically what, whatever goes into uh, coming up with the funding or the credit to buy the house in the first place. Yeah. So for the types of investments that we do, almost all of it's commercial real estate, a lot of it's institutional quality and size, apartment communities, um, oftentimes with 150 to 500 units, Adam, 
um, and mobile home parks, they could be smaller or larger as well uh, as some self-storage facilities with you know, over a thousand units. And so what we do is we look at uh, the financials and the projections of an investment. Uh, some things that come to mind today that we watch out pretty closely for, number one is occupancy. What is it today? What are we projecting it to be? Why? And what is the sub-market occupancy? Uh, we're really analyzing that very closely uh, so we can come up with forecasts and projections for the investment term that we think are uh, conservative. The next is rental growth projections. Um, again, we're analyzing the local sub-market. What have the rents been? What are they today? Where are they likely to go? You'll also look at new supply coming online that can affect the rental rates. And so analyzing that on a, on a micro level is, is quite important to come up again with, with projections and analysis on uh, underwriting in a pro forma. We also look at cap rates very closely, going in cap rates, um, not quite as specific uh, of a focus. We look at it carefully, but the going in cap rate um, doesn't always paint the whole picture if there's a strong value add plan. Uh, but we look at the exit cap rate very closely and we're always trying to be conservative with that assumption. Adam, usually oh, 10 to 20 basis points of expansion we build into our projections every year. And so uh, those are some of the underlying metrics that we look at when, when doing underwriting and analyzing deals. Right, 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 right. So uh, in the current investment environment, what can we do to reduce some of the risk. I know this kind of goes back to something I mentioned earlier, but uh, I mean, it's, you know, there's a bit of uncertainty at this point. And those of us who've been around just long enough to see these many changes in the market in such a short period of time, uh, what do we do to make sure we don't lose everything? Yeah. So, I mean, there's always risk, right? In every investment, um, we always always trying to determine uh, where we think we have a favorable risk versus reward, where we're getting highly rewarded for uh, what we perceive to be a lower amount of risk. And so to put that into perspective, Adam, like we don't do development deals. We don't invest in short-term lodging. There's a lot of things we don't do uh, because they're outside of our risk profile. And so okay. today, if you want to be ultra conservative, you know, you probably wouldn't make any investments. But if you do that for too long, you're essentially losing money to inflation. And so um, wh what we look at is, you know, there's always an investment um, marketplace and very rarely do we not invest, although we have stopped investing on two occasions in the last uh, call it 12 plus years due to market conditions. The first was, was COVID. Um, once that hit, we stopped investing for about seven seven months, Adam, just waiting and watching and analyzing. Um, but at the end of the day, like if you told me, hey, Mark, I'll, I'll sell my house to you for $10, like I don't care what the market's doing, I'll, I'll buy it, right? And so yeah, there, there's opportunity there, you just have to find it. And so for, uh, for us, we're looking very closely at the acquisition price today. What's the basis that we're able to buy things at? Are we uh, pretty wowed by it and excited about it? And do we feel that in the next three to five years, we're still going to be very excited about it? The answer has to be yes, or we just won't invest in something. Um, and then lastly, I, I, we have to have a ton of conviction around the ability to meet or beat the projected returns. That's always the goal, right? So if we think that the deal might be underwritten 
too aggressively. And let's just assume that the projected annual return is 15%. But we have to have all the stars aligned to get to that 15%. Um, we'll probably pass on that investment. So takeaway for, for people today is, is you know, assess the risk tolerance level that you're comfortable with, because there's always risk in every deal, but also try and uh, make sure you're investing so you're not getting a loss due to inflation. But do it carefully. Find people that uh, you can surround yourselves that are better at it than you and uh, listen and partner with them as much as you can. All right. So when you say short-term lodging, you're referring to Airbnbs? Correct. And, and hotel as well. Okay. And, that, and why, why, are those, why are those so risky? Well, you don't have a predictable income stream. I shouldn't say you don't have one. I should say the income stream is less predictable than let's just say multifamily apartments where tenants are signing a long-term lease or at least a six to 12 month lease. So you're able to project income, we feel a lot more uh, securely than you would where you might have more of a transient short-term rental uh, uh, resident. And so that's where you tend to see more risk. You'll have a larger fluctuations in uh, vacancy throughout the year. There's probably a seasonality depending on where the property is too. I mean, we've done it, Adam, in the past. Um, and you just have to know the ups and the downs as much as you can. But also uh, we saw how impacted short-term lodging Airbnb hotels were due to COVID, for example, they were, were devastated. And so a lot of those properties weren't able to make their debt service requirements due to the, the fundamental aspect of people uh, coming there for, for uh, you know, a night or two or a week, but not necessarily a long-term six to 12 month lease. Well, okay. So I see your point. And if you have a, and if you have a situation, people just aren't traveling and just aren't doing anything where they need to rent anything short-term, there's no replacement for that. Correct. Yeah. And you also have the ability of, you know, new short-term lodging to pop up pretty quickly without you necessarily knowing you don't have to build new, right? In a lot of markets, if there aren't any Airbnb or short-term lodging restrictions by the, the county, then you can have your neighbors start leasing out their home. Uh, and and you, it's hard to gauge the amount of competition and supply of short-term lodging that's in a, a market at any one time. Right, right, right. I, 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 I follow. So what can you do to adjust an investment strategy to meet whatever current marketing conditions are there? Uh, well, we, yeah, that's a good question. We've done that several times. So I'll just speak from experience, Adam, you know, in 2020, we adjusted our investment strategy. Again, we stopped investing entirely for seven months. We watched, we waited, we analyzed a ton of data internally, our portfolio macro level uh, throughout the U S mm -hmm. um, our operating partners, portfolios, what we were trying to figure out at the time was, is there going to be distress? Are tenants going to stay in pay? Uh, are our occupancy rates going to drop? You know, all the unknowns um, around a situation that had really never happened before. And we found by the end of uh, the summer that that wasn't the case. There was strong demand for uh, our assets, our housing, um, especially renovated units. Um, and so we started investing again in Q3 of 2020, we focused on shorter term deals, two to three year holds, because at the time, Adam, we had seen, we saw a, a rapid rent growth. We saw a ton of demand for uh, rental housing. 
We saw uh, cap rates starting to go down, a lot of interest from investors wanting to buy, and we wanted to get behind those tailwinds. Um, and so we did that. We, we essentially pivoted in early 2020 by stopping investing, and then we pivoted again in Q3 of 2020 by adding you know, shorter term, uh, call it fix and flip properties to the, to the investment thesis. And then fast forward to Q1 of 2022, we pivoted again. We went back to recession resistance um, as a response to higher borrowing costs and the uncertainty that we, we found ourselves in, in in Q1 of 2020 and the change in borrowing rates. And so now we're back to you know five to 10 year holds, fixed rate, long-term debt, um, higher uh, cash flow in year one, um, just again to protect downside so that's how we've pivoted. It, it, a lot of the pivots we make are, are due to market conditions, a change in them, of course, and uh, trying to be defensive while also continuing to invest uh, as long as it makes sense. All right. So let's say somebody wants to get into this to begin with, and uh, they don't exactly have a um, a large amount of capital at hand. How can they get started with this? You, you see these... Uh, these things where it says that you can actually buy a house with no money down and then flip it and use one mortgage to pay another and all that. So uh, is that, is that, does that even exist in this day and age? And if so, how do you get started? Yeah. You know, I'll say this. I'm not sure if that still exists, Adam. That's not our focus. Um, What we typically start with, with investors um, in our group, we ask them if they want to be active or passive investors. You know, that's usually step one. Okay. Active investor is uh, going to be in charge of everything, right? They're going to source the property. They're going to pay for it, acquire it, finance it, guarantee the debt and decide what to do with it. If you're going to rent it out, let's say it's single family home, you need to figure out, are you the manager or are you going to hire a manager? And then who's going to manage the manager as that is a job. And so uh, there's a lot of work to be an active investor. And so we typically ask folks if that's what they want to do or if they want to be passive. Now, if they want to be passive, which is where we focus, then they don't have to do just about all that. We, um, we handle that with our operating partners. That's uh, our business model. And so to be a passive investor, you essentially can source and identify investments that may meet your your goals. If you're looking for income, if you're looking for growth, if you're looking for both, you know whatever it may be, you can uh, identify investment opportunities that can help you meet those goals. And then from there, it's really just getting to know the team because you're being a passive investor, you're relying on others to execute um, the investment and the business plan and to keep you updated communicating wise, the performance um, and any changes that may happen in the business plan along the way and, you know, down the road, obviously eventually for sale and and profit as well. And so it's more due diligence, I'd say upfront, getting to know the partners and establishing some level of trust and identifying investments that, you know, you think are going to meet your goals if you want to be passive. So that's how we typically look at it. Um, and how we talk to our folks about it. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, we've had other guests on the show. Uh, I can't remember exactly the name right now. And I, you know, just so as not to 
you know, create a competitive side to this. I probably wouldn't say it anyway, but uh, it is in our history. And uh, those of our listeners who are curious can contact me directly. But we've interviewed organizations where they allow people to get involved in investing in a property, whether it's, uh, and in most cases, they were talking about apartment buildings and multi-use buildings and multi uh, unit buildings. And the idea is you could put in as little as, say, $500. Now, you're not going to make necessarily be a millionaire over that, but you become essentially a passive investor where you're putting the money in and the and the organization manages the group investment collectively. Yeah, absolutely. That That's definitely an option. Um, there's crowdfunding platforms out there, Adam, like I think you're alluding to where you can go online and you can scroll and find some opportunities and, and invest as little as $500 into them. So uh, that option exists. Um, we focus on investors are typically our minimums, Adam, are around 50,000 for investors and they get okay. to own a percent of the investment alongside us. Um, and we essentially are their investment fund manager in this specific space, right? So we've got folks that they just want income. Uh, they're getting close to retirement or retired and are focusing on income, not as focused on growth. They're looking a bit more for capital preservation. And so we'll uh, create investments that are more income focused, for example. And then we have others that are maybe a bit younger. They're looking to plan for their college uh, for their kids and they're looking for kind of a blend of income and growth. And so we listen, we talk to our folks directly, all, all investors uh, try and understand what their position is, what they're looking for, and, and see if we're a good fit. So that, that's how we do it. Okay, great. So uh, we're you know near the end of this uh, conversation. And uh, before I um, extend your invitation to our audience, I just wanted to uh, put it out to you again and just uh, ask you uh, if you have any other thoughts or any other recommendations from somebody who's listening to this today and they're finding themselves curious about the possibilities. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. We're, we invest in real estate predominantly, Adam, but it's very much a people business. So uh, get to know the people. Uh, network as much as you can. If you have time for it, great. Go shake hands, meet people in person. You know, join webinars online, uh, get educated. But again, it comes back to the people. So that's always my number one suggestion. That's how uh, we got started. I got started is, is predominantly by partnering with folks and, um, you know, joining them if you can't beat them, that kind of thing and, and diversifying across different assets. So uh, definitely focus on meeting the right people. Absolutely. So uh, the invitation that I have for everybody is visit Mark Curry's website. It's www.smkcap.com, smkcap.com, which is the website for SMK Capital Management. And this is where you can discover more about um, investing and getting involved in private real estate, diversification, and how to diversify your capital across asset classes, regions, operation partners, and working with SMK could be a great way to get involved in a variety of investments, everything from self-storage facilities to mobile home parks. Uh, and uh, you may have mentioned that he alluded to things a little bit beyond just housing. For example, investments in ATMs. Uh, I mean, everywhere you see an ATM machine, there's probably uh, somebody behind that. And you think about it, you're connecting people with their money. That's an asset that is 
very unlikely to uh, depreciate when you think about it. I can not, can I've never seen an ATM where I thought, "Gee, what the hell is that machine doing there? Who uses that?" <laughs> yeah, we, so, we love ATMs, uh, Adam. They've been a big part of our portfolio for a number of years. Yeah, and that's something that a lot of people don't think about, which is why as we finish up here, I just wanted to point that out as another thing that you guys work with. It is something that some of uh, our listeners may want to consider. So let me say that website again. It's uh, smkcap.com, smkcap.com. And Mark Curry, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. My pleasure, Adam. Thanks for having me. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.